You're listening to A Sure Hope with Pastor Dave Shank of Calvary Chapel, Cape May in Cape May, New Jersey. Join us as Pastor Dave teaches verse by verse through God's Word. situation if you've yoked yourself with an unbeliever your friends after you become born again and you left your crowd and you go back to them and want to be buddies with them you're going to be unequally yoked and they're guaranteed they're going to pull you towards them oh i'm going to go back and talk to them about jesus yes that's great you probably will but if you continue to hang out with them guaranteed they're not going to come to you the chances of you going to them are greater you'll be in an unequal yoke situation Unequally yoked, not a term we use every day, but the Israelites during the time of Ezra paint a perfect picture of becoming numb to the glory of God and settling for the world's pleasures. Pastor Dave challenges us to take this Old Testament story to heart and challenge the relationships we keep. Today, are you unequally yoked? Now, here's Pastor Dave in the book of Ezra chapter 10 as he continues his message, being obedient to God is sometimes difficult. What's also interesting, turn over to verse 26 in chapter 10. The sons of Elam, that's Shechaniah's family. Shechaniah's father was one of them who had committed this horrible act. So Shechaniah was not covering for his dad. Sometimes we could become very partial to our families. We want to cover up from them. He could have defended his father's sin. Sometimes we get caught up between a relative sin and the Lord. We need to be careful which side you're on here. We need to be very careful. Shechaniah stands up. Maybe he remembered what Moses said in Deuteronomy 6 about judging partiality. Paul also mentions to Timothy regarding the church in 1 Timothy 5.21. I charge you before God and the Lord Jesus Christ and the elect angels that you observe these things without prejudice, doing nothing with partiality. God is not a God of partiality. God treats everyone the same. God looks at everyone the same. And that's what's happening here. Shechaniah is looking out, even though his dad is guilty. He's looking out for the big picture. He's looking out to God who doesn't look at partiality. God doesn't do that way. So Shechaniah says, I have a plan. Ezra must be feeling pretty good by now. Well, if he has a plan, let's run with it. Let's go. He says, I have a plan. Look at verses 3 and 4. Now, therefore... Let us make a covenant with our God to put away all these wives and those who have been born to them according to the advice of my master and those who tremble at the commandment of our God and let it be done according to the law. Arise, and for this matter is your responsibility. We also are with you. Be of good courage and do it. Wow. Talk about something hard. Talk about being given a hard command by God. Wow, this is hard. It was a simple plan, but it was extremely demanding. It was extremely demanding. The nation would have to make a commitment by covenant to obey God's law. They would all have to come together and say, yes, we're going to do this. Notice whose responsibility it was. Theirs. They said, it's your responsibility. For this matter is your responsibility. Wow. They had to obey God. 
Sometimes when we make a covenant with God, we are required to do hard things. But we must act accordingly when called by the Lord. These are hard verses. These are hard to reconcile what is happening here. God wanted them to do something. But there's going to be an out for some of them. There's going to be an out for some of them. And for some reason, as I read this, I, I went to a verse that people have trouble with. I went to a verse that people have trouble with, and they hear this word, and they kind of shudder, especially when it comes from the Lord. In Luke 14, in verse 26, Jesus is talking about following him. He's talking about following him, and he says this, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, and his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. That's hard. That's hard. If you take it for what you look at, I can, wait a minute. Hate my mom and dad? Hate my bros? My sis? Hate them? My children? Hate them? What is Jesus saying here? He's saying, unless I am your top priority, you can have none of me. He's not saying hate your siblings. He's not saying hate your wife, hate your mother, hate those people. He's not saying that. He's saying, put me, God, as the top priority of your life. You can't let other things take priority in your life that God should have. He should be preeminent. He should be the top of the list. He should be the top of the list. It goes for husbands and wives. Husbands, you should be number two in your wife's list with God first. Wives, you should be number two in your husband's list with God first. God is always first in all situations. And that's what's happening here. God needed to be first in their life. They weren't following the commandments. What God has said we must do. It's a divine imperative, though it seems cruel and harsh. It's a divine imperative. And as I said, sometimes God's asked us to do hard things. Be obedient sometimes is difficult. It was up to Ezra and those who trembled at the commandment of God, but everything had to be done according to the law. Everything had to be done according to the law. They had to do this thing. They had to come together. Ezra accepts the plan and ask the Levites and priests to investigate the matter. Now, remember I said some of the Levites and priests are just as guilty. And let's look at 5 and 6. Then Ezra rode and made the leaders of the priests and the Levites and all Israel swear an oath that they would do according to this word. So they swore an oath. Then Ezra rose up before the house of God and went into the chamber of Jehoiakim and son of Ishlabib. And when he came there, he ate no bread and drank no water, for he mourned because of the guilt of those from captivity. So Ezra was still so upset and he's still fasting and he wants to just really have this a good outcome here. He goes and he continues mourning and fasting. He's praying for God's guidance. He doesn't act hastily. He doesn't do a spur of the moment thing. He waits upon God. The proclamation is issued, seven and eight. And they issued a proclamation throughout Judea and Jerusalem to all the descendants of captivity that they must gather at Jerusalem and whoever would not come in three days, according to these instructions of the leaders and elders, all the property would be confiscated, and he himself would be separated from the assembly of those from captivity. People of all Jerusalem and the outlying areas have to come and appear. They're going to take a census. They're going to find out who is doing these things. They all want them here. You're going to have to confess in front of everybody. What's good here is they're all working together for a common cause. They're trying to get back on track as a community to the Lord. They're trying to get back and let God be their leader. 
They're following Ezra's lead of humility. Remember? Ezra humbled himself. Ezra bowed before the Lord, and he prayed and gave supplication. This took enormous courage of all these people to come in. It took enormous courage for them to come in. We look at 9 through 17. We see the gathering and what comes of the gathering. So all the men of Judah and Benjamin gathered at Jerusalem within three days. It was the ninth month on the twelfth of the month, and all the people sat in the open square of the house of God, trembling because of this matter and because of heavy rain. Then Ezra the priest stood up and said to them, You have transgressed and have taken pagan wives according to the guilt of Israel. Now therefore, make confession to the Lord God of your fathers, and do his will. Separate yourselves from the peoples of the land and from your pagan wives. Then all the assembly answered and said with a loud voice, Yes, as you have said, we must do. Notice the must. But there are many people. It is the season for heavy rain, and we are not able to stand outside, nor is this the work of one or two days, for there are many of us who have transgressed in this matter. Please, let the leaders of our entire assembly stand, and let all those in our cities who have taken pagan wives come at appointed times, together with the elders and the judges of their cities, until the fierce wrath of our God is turned away from us this matter. Jonathan, the son of Ashiel, and Jasahiah, the son of Tikva, who opposed this. There's always going to be some people who are going to oppose. And Mishulam and that guy, the Levite, gave them support. Then the descendants of the captivity did so. And Ezra the priest, with certain heads of the father's household, were set apart by the father's household, each of them by name. And they sat down on the first day of the tenth month to examine the matter. By the first day of the first month, they finished questioning all the men who had taken pagan Wives, Ezra Stern's word, you've transgressed, now make confession. It's appropriate as he humbled himself and now needs to reach a consensus. They have to correct the matter because they've dishonored God. So they agreed to do so. This was a clear call for confession and repentance. It was a clear call. We might even say that their confession would be in vain without the corresponding repentance. And I think we should think about that. Some people confess to the Lord and they turn around and do the same thing over and over and over again. And they keep confessing. Repentance means turning from. Repentance means turning from what's causing you to sin and moving on, moving forward towards the Lord. It's not hanging on to the sin. This repentance, the decision to stop one's sinful behavior and to do his will, is an essential element in the Christian life. It's essential to our life as well. We must confess our sin and repent of it. The willingness of the people to forsake the normal comforts and to humbly assemble in these adverse circumstances was another evidence that the Holy Spirit was moving among them. Add the guilt of Israel. You've transgressed. Ezra's words were clear and strong. But the moving of the Holy Spirit is really evident here. It was most important to carry the work through the completion. We couldn't do it halfway. We got to do it all. Make confession to the Lord. Do His will. What was His will? Separate yourselves. Separate yourselves. A clear call to repentance and confession. It is admitted that things have to be put right. Pointed out. This would be a very complex thing to do. And it would include hurt. It would include pain. Many people, probably those ones that we talked about, raised objections. Yes, as you've said, we must do it. Another evidence that the Holy Spirit is moving in the people, trying to grow them back to God. That's the Holy Spirit's job. The Holy Spirit's job is still to convict you of sin, righteousness, and judgment. Even as sinners, he will convict us of sin, righteousness, and judgment and draw us back to God. That's what the Holy Spirit does. He draws us back to God. They immediately answered Ezra, yeah, we're going to do this. The people asked Ezra for the time to make it right. 
This was necessary because there were so many people involved in this sin, yet the principle was agreed upon, and there was not much opposition. It's a complex matter. It couldn't be sorted out in one day. It took three months. So the complexity meant that the matter would take time to resolve, not that it would be addressed in the first place by one person. Over 100 men had committed and offended this way, and some of them had children who were born to them. As you read down, in verse 44, it says, All these had taken pagan wives, and some of them had wives by whom they had children. There's approximately a hundred some odd men listed here, and their names are listed. They sat down on the first day of the tenth month to examine the matter. Ezra was wisely willing to accept the delay because it was a necessity. They finished questioning the men who had taken pagan wives, and through the whole process, it took many weeks. Because many men had taken pagan wives, the questioning was necessary. They needed to examine if one of these wives had genuinely decided to serve the Lord. Remember we said last week that one of the things about Ruth, who was not a Jew, she converted and decided to serve the Lord God of Boaz. If these ladies had converted, their husbands would not have to put them away. Their husbands would not have to put them away. They're not going to kill them. All right, let's make that clear. They're not going to kill them. They're going to put them away, give them a writ of divorce, and send them on their way. If a pagan wife had decided to keep her primary allegiance with her former people, she couldn't live in the community. She had to be ousted from the community. Beginning in verse 18 through verse 44, you see the names of those who transgressed. We're not going to read them. You can read it for themselves. Some of the singers, some of the Levites, other people, Israel, all those things you can read through. These are the people that have transgressed. It shows everything. You know, I tried to make this come to what we're doing today and how this could come to us today. And I immediately was drawn to 2 Corinthians chapter 6. In 2 Corinthians chapter 6, Paul talks about being unequally yoked. He talks about being unequally yoked. And in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, we'll read beginning in verse 11. He said, O Corinthians, we have spoken openly to you. Our heart is wide open. You are not restricted by us, but you are restricted by your own affections. Now in return for the same, I speak as to children, you also be open. Do not be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. For what fellowship has righteousness with lawlessness? What communion has light with darkness? And what accord has Christ with Baal? Or what part has a believer with an unbeliever? And what agreement has the temple of God with idols? For you are the temple of the living God. As God said, I will dwell in them and walk among them. I will be their God and they shall be my people. Therefore, come out from among them and be separate, says the Lord. Do not touch that, is un that which is unclean and I will receive you. I will be a father to you and you will be my sons and daughters, says the Lord Almighty. So we have this beautiful, beautiful passage here. This passage that comes out to being here. And then there are many people who believe that theirs is a special case that's not really covered by Scripture. And they can do as they please, and it really doesn't apply to their situation. God doesn't think that way. God wasn't really thinking of their situation when he gave this command to come out and be separate. And as many people who enter into unequal yokes with unbelievers, believing and hoping that things are going to get better. I'm going to change him, or I'm going to change her. She'll get saved or he'll get saved. The chances of that happening are extremely slim. It can happen. It has happened. But it's extremely slim. When Chuck Smith was writing his commentary, he said there's an old Greek saying, the dice of the gods are loaded. You cannot go against God and win. You cannot go against the word of God and win. There's too many times I've had this happen in various situations 
People come in to me and they talk about it. Oh, they're so much in love. They're so much in love. Oh, that's great. But they're unequally yoked. The only problem is one of them is not a Christian. But I know if I live my life of Christ before them, they'll get saved if I walk in love. Yes, but Scripture says don't be unequally yoked with young believers. But you know, we love each other, and I know he's going to change. We're determined to marry in spite of the counsel of God. I've known several people personally who I didn't counsel, but watched the counsel of another pastor. And they married anyhow, and it didn't turn out very good. I see that happen over and over again. It's a sad thing. This law isn't just about marriage. It really isn't just about marriage. This goes to many different types of yokes that are brought together with an unbeliever. You're always in an unequal situation if you've yoked yourself with an unbeliever. Your friends, after you become born again and you left your crowd and you go back to them and want to be buddies with them, you're going to be unequally yoked. And they're guaranteed they're going to pull you towards them. Oh, I'm going to go back and talk to them about Jesus. Yes, that's great. You probably will. But if you continue to hang out with them, guarantee they're not going to come to you. The chances of you going to them are greater. You'll be in an unequal yoke situation because they don't follow the same rules. They don't live by the same ethics. They don't live by the same God because their father at this time is Satan. Your father is God. Businesses are the same thing. Business partners, those type of things are the same thing. What fellowship does righteousness with unrighteousness? What communion has light and darkness? What accord is Christ with Baal? What part do you believe with an unbeliever? Trying to bring together two unequal things. The results are usually disastrous because we're the temple of the living God. The Holy Spirit is placed in us. He's living in us. Don't you know your bodies are a temple of the Holy Spirit which is in you? You're not your own. You've been bought with a price. What relationship can you possibly be with the temple of God and idols? God is dwelling in you. We have no business messing with darkness, messing with unequal yoke situations. God has called us to be separate. You are to be different from the world. We've said this a million times. You cannot have real communion with the world and real communion with God. There's no common ground. You try to bring two diverse situations together, trying to join together Life in the flesh and life of the spirit. It can't. The scripture says the spirit and the flesh are in enmity with one another. They're fighting one another. You can't join them. Let's all join hands. No. They cannot commingle. It's an unequal yoke. God has called you to come apart. What does that mean? It means that we live differently. That's all. It means that we live differently. You're a child of God. You're expected to live differently. Living differently, different standards, different purposes. If you only love those that love you, what does it matter? Even the publicans do the same, but love those who hate you and do go to those who despitefully usually. Pray for those who persecute you and so you shall be the children of your father. Jesus is declaring to us tonight, let's be different than the world because we are a new creation. Old things have passed away. Everything has become new. And now God lays claim to you as a son and a daughter. And John made it quite clear in his, in his epistle, which we studied, 1 John 2, 15. Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world, for he that hath the love of the world in his heart hath not the love of the Father. The cry of the Spirit, be reconciled to God. The ministry of reconciliation, you can only be reconciled to God as you come into the life of the Spirit and you deny the flesh, deny yourself, the self-centered life, deny it. Take up your cross and follow him. And that's the challenge of the Holy Spirit. That's the challenge that's being made. We may, how are you going to respond to Jesus' call? 
Interesting that Paul, in 1 Corinthians 7, 39, commanded that if a believer is married to an unbeliever, they are to remain in the marriage, if at all possible, both for the possibility of a witness to an unbelieving spouse and for the benefit of the children. You can read about that in 1 Corinthians 7. But how sad that a book of revival ends like this, on such a somber note. There's a list of offenders here. It's sad that we see this failure of this group that had been freed by God and sent back to Jerusalem. We see nothing's changed. Nothing's changed. Man will always go towards darkness. We're attracted by it. We think, see something there that we think, wow, that's pretty cool. And we go that way. It's sad indeed that there have been such failure among the remnant, the minority who had returned to the place of God's choice. But we shouldn't overlook that the list contains the those who offered a ram for trespass and gave their hand a right that was wrong. In other words, the book of Ezra ends with a list of people who have been restored. Many, many, many people who have come now after these pagan wives are released have been restored to God. They made a new covenant with God and it's a new beginning, praise God. Just like you can have a new beginning. Just like you can be restored to God. No matter what you've done in the past, no matter what you've done today, you can be restored to God. Just come back to him. A simple prayer. I want to come back. I confess that I've sinned. If you're expecting a new sacrifice, there won't be one. There was a sacrifice for sin once and for all, and that was on the cross. There won't be another one. So you have to come to the same cross and admit that you sinned. I've sinned and fallen short of your glory, God. I've sinned, and I confess to you, and I want to change. Please help me by your Holy Spirit to change. I found the last part of Ezra to be very tough. Very, very hard to teach because we're not all talking about the joy and the peace and the love and all that that God has offered to us. That's there. You can have that. But God also commands us to do certain things. And when he calls you to be obedient, we must do that. When God calls for obedience, you must act according to God's law and God's will. Now, you certainly don't have to. Nobody's going to force you. God will never force you. But just know that the consequences might not be that great if you choose to walk the other way. Was Ezra's mission a success? I think so. I think Ezra's mission was a success. I think he came in there. He did what he had to do, made a new covenant with God. They've cleaned up their acts. They've, now they're starting to follow God. And there'll be another group coming as we start the next chapter in the Old Testament as Nehemiah takes a trip to Jerusalem and is appalled that the walls are torn down. And he goes back and asks the king if he can go and take some people and rebuild the walls. A very, very prime subject, him rebuilding the walls, because that starts a time clock ticking. When Nehemiah is given the right by Artaxerxes again to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem, a time clock begins. Anybody know which time clock that is? When Artaxerxes gives the permission for Nehemiah to build the walls, the clock starts ticking until Messiah comes. Messiah comes. And he comes to Jerusalem, and it all works out. It all works out exactly as the time specifies. You are You've been listening to A Sure Hope with Pastor Dave Shank. Pastor David has been digging into the book of Ezra, and we're learning so much together. The book of Ezra starts out with a powerful reminder of God's mighty power over kings and kingdoms. In chapter 1, verse 1, it says, In the first year of Cyrus, king of Persia, that the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah might be fulfilled. 
the Lord stirred up the spirit of Cyrus, king of Persia, so that he made a proclamation throughout all his kingdom and also put it in writing. What follows is a command to anyone who wanted to, to go and rebuild the temple in Jerusalem. And then he commanded his people to help them with silver and gold and goods and beasts and a free will offering. Can you imagine a pagan leader doing all that? Only by the great power of God. And that gives a good deal of hope today for the world we live in. Nothing and no one can keep the word of the Lord from coming to pass. So it doesn't matter who is in power, because God is greater. I'm sure glad you've decided to join us today on A Sure Hope. This is a ministry out of Calvary Chapel, Cape May, in Cape May, New Jersey. If you'd like to join us on Sunday, we'd love to have you. Head over to AsureHopeRadio.com for service times and directions. And if you're too far away to join us in person, you can always catch us online on Facebook and YouTube. That's all we have for today, but we'll be back, and we hope you will too, right here on Assure Hope. If I